0: Ugh, I'm so busy. OMG, me too. Right? That's pretty much uh, everyday talk. Right, This is what all of us experience and feel all the time. Uh, this is how it is. Right, um, Everyone is crazy busy. Well, more than one-third of Americans say they don't have enough time in their day to get things done. Right? Uh, work carries over and spills into uh, home life and soccer practice and baseball and and all these other activities that we're doing and engaged in and socializing and we're just busy and, and we feel drained and we're zapped of energy and we just uh, we, we feel more anxious we're more on edge, we're more stressed out, right and uh, for example, if you ask somebody, uh, you know how are you doing, you ask that to somebody, the, the response is going to be, I can guarantee it it's going to be I'm so busy, right? There's always that word, busy, ends up in it. I kid you not, I had a conversation with another pastor this week, got on the phone with him, I'm like, hey, how's it going, how's ministry? Oh, yeah, it's been great, but I'm so busy. That's it, right? It's always, it's the trigger word. Um, and it's, it's ruining our health, it's making all of us feel miserable, it's like burning us out, and yet we're still living crazy busy lives. And so in, in really, in contrast to this crazy, busy, frenetic, frantic, you know, way of life, Jesus comes with this invitation. And he says in verse 31, come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while. So the first thing we learned this morning is that you were made to rest. You were made for rest. You were made to rest. Uh, God's designed us to embrace our limitations, to embrace our limits and to rest. All people are made in the image of God and, and we reflect his image when we, like him, we stop to rest. We take a, a breather. Uh, our bodies and our brains, they're wired by God to take time off. And so why is it though that we, you know, we push ourselves so hard, right? We, we fill up our, our, our schedules with, with piles and piles of to-do lists, right? And... and, and um, uh, what's the what is it? Uh, I forget what my wife calls it the, uh, oh, the honey do list anybody have one of those at home the honey do list and it's this big long list of things that you need to get done at home and you're like oh man I got a bunch of stuff at work I got a bunch of stuff at home um, when am I going to get a break and, uh, and so every, every minute you know, is, is, is filled up and especially you know, what do we do when, when it begins to hurt our, our relationships and our health and our work uh, for many of us, though, we do this, right? We work and we live this crazy, busy lifestyle uh, because we believe the lie that the, the harder we work, right, the busier we are, the more valuable we are, right? We believe that lie that, that if, we're, if we're crazy busy, it must mean that we are significant. It must mean that we're important. What if I told you now, what, what if God was telling you this morning right now That you're valuable not for what you can produce, but for who you are, who he's made you to be? What if God is saying that he's not interested in using you to get work done, but he loves you for you? You're not a doing machine. You're not a work unit. You're a person made in the image of a beautiful, loving God. That's who he's made you to be. And, and that God doesn't want to use you. He wants to enjoy you. He says, come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while, right? It's an invitation to, to slow down the busy train, right? Hit the brakes and take a pause. Take a pause maybe on Sunday, right, today, day of rest. And uh, to take a, a pause in your every day, your, your, your busy life, um, each, each day in the week, taking some time to rest a little bit. Question, do you, do you stop? Do you pause at all in your, in your work day, in your weekday? Do you take a moment to pause? Maybe you're going, yeah, that sounds really nice, but I have a ton of stuff to do. I don't know how I could possibly pause when I have so much piling up. And to that, I want to I read a quote from uh, Wayne Muller. He writes this. It's so helpful. He says, Sabbath is not dependent upon our readiness to stop. Is we do not stop when we're finished. We do not stop when we complete our phone calls, finish our project, get through this stack of messages, or get out this report that's due tomorrow. We stop because it's time to stop. Sabbath requires surrender. If we only stop when we're finished with all of our work, we'll never stop because our work is never completely done. With every accomplishment, there arises a new responsibility. If we we refuse rest until we're finished, we'll never rest until we die. Sabbath dissolves the artificial urgency of our days because it liberates us from the need to be finished. Sabbath says, be still, stop. There's no rush to get to the end because we're never finished. I find that really refreshing, right? It's a refreshing take on the Sabbath of of finding rest and and the blessing of, of Sabbath but Jesus, right, he cares for the well-being of his disciples who've been crazy busy. Um, and he urges them to find rest. The wilderness is a picture in Mark's gospel um, of, of this place of relief, of, of, of restoration, of, of rest. Jesus went there, if you remember, back in Mark chapter 1, right, when, got, when we started this gospel journey. Um, he, he was in the wilderness. And uh, in the Old Testament, we read, God provides rest for his people in the wilderness, Before the exodus, Israel had gone 400 years without a vacation day. 400 years without any time off. Eugene Peterson wrote, I should say, The consequence, they were were no longer considered persons but slaves, hands, work units. Not persons created in the image of God, but equipment for making brick and building pyramids. Humanity was defaced. Right, And so, so the wilderness is actually, it becomes this place of, of rest for God's people. And uh, Isaiah and Jeremiah, those prophets in the Bible, they prophesy of Israel. They say that Israel, uh, their rest in the wilderness during the Exodus is a picture of our final rest with God in heaven. It's a picture of that. And so um, you, you can read, uh, if, you're, if you're taking notes this morning, write down Isaiah 63, Write down Jeremiah 31. Those are uh, two places where you can read about that. And so when Jesus says to his disciples, right, go uh, to a desolate or solitary place and and find some rest, um, it's not only because they need to physically rest, it's because what what God's doing here is it's a call for this new exodus to begin. Like in the old times when, you know, Israel was, was taken out of Egypt, Right? This is happening all over again. It's a new exodus. And so I'll explain that a little bit. But the, the apostles, right, they, they just wrapped up hours and hours of uh, crazy busy lives, right? They were going two by two, house to house, um, evangelizing. They spent countless hours going around telling people about Jesus, and they're wiped out. And so many people are trying to um, reach them, and, and so they have no free time to eat again. And um, so they they, they get on a boat, and they try to get away to a desolate place. Well, people see where their sails are set, and um, people travel on foot eight miles, right? They run, and they get there before the boat travels about four miles. And they get there to meet them there. That's how badly they wanted to hear more about Jesus. It's crazy. And uh, so verse 34 says, When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion on them. Because they were like sheep without a shepherd, and he began to teach them many things. Jesus uh, has compassion like this, this kind of deep, um, evocative passion, uh, compassion for people, uh, nine times in the New Testament. So uh, there's several occasions, maybe when he sees somebody sick, he sees somebody who's just stuck in sin, Uh, he sees somebody who's in need, like here, he saw that these people, they were like sheep without a shepherd. That image, sheep without a shepherd, right echoes across the pages of the Old Testament. It comes up so many times. Uh, Moses prayed for Israel in numbers twenty seven asking for God to appoint a leader so the people would not be like a sheep like sheep without a shepherd, right, that they wouldn 't be leaderless and This phrase is also used to identify abusive uh, shepherds who no longer care for their sheep. You can read Ezekiel 34, Zechariah 11, for more examples of that. And so Jesus, is he's moved with compassion for the people, for these lost sheep, and he teaches them many things. He is Israel's true shepherd. He's a shepherd who cares. He's a shepherd who loves and leads. And he's the one who's come to lead God's people. Ezekiel 34, it it prophesies, and I'll just summarize it. It says, there will come this time when God himself will do a few things. He'll seek the lost, he'll bring, bring back the strayed, he'll bind up the injured, and he'll strengthen the weak. And those are all things that Jesus does in his ministry and he's doing right now in his ministry. And so Mark is signaling to us, he's telling us that this divine shepherd who will gather the lost and scattered of Israel is here now. And as people made in the image of God, we need physical rest. But more important even than the physical rest that our bodies crave and need is we need to find spiritual rest by trusting in Jesus. We need to find and see Jesus as the one sheep, right, Uh, the the true shepherd who laid down his own life for his sheep. That's what we need to see. And that's what the scripture is pointing us to. And so I just want to ask, do you believe this about Jesus, that he is your shepherd? You believe that you 're made for rest and we 're made to find that rest in Jesus, but you 're also made to eat now, I like this one. you were made to eat so uh, i 'm a foodie, so for those of you who know me at all, right, probably one of the first things to learn about me is that I love food i love i 'm a, I'm a, I'm a foodie, and um, uh, let me just share with you just a little bit about how much of a foodie I am so uh, when Redemption Church was first entertaining, you know, to, to call me as the pastor, one of the pastors of Redemption Church, um, we were sitting down around a table. We were eating, of course. And, um, and somebody asked a question to me and my wife, Gina. They asked this question. Do you, you want me to tell you what the question is? All right, so they asked, what do you like to do for fun? And I'm going tell tell, tell to tell you straight. I'm going to tell you the honest answer. What do you like to do for fun? Gina and I look at each other, and we both go, We love to eat, (laughs) right? I mean, most people probably say, you know, we love to go hiking, we love to go fishing, we love to, you know, go exercising or mountain biking or, I don't know, something like that, right? No, not us. (laughs) We like to eat. Yeah, that's us. So um, I want to tell you something. God is somebody who loves to eat, right? I mean, we read in the Old and New Testaments. We get this imagery, this picture that God is this, one, this guy who loves to eat, he loves people gathering around food, getting together around meals, and sharing them and eating together. And so that's what we see here, right? In this, this next story is God providing this massive meal for 5,000 people. It's a simple meal, though, but it's a good meal. So food and, and eating become central. Let's look at verse 35. And when it grew late, his disciples came to him and said, "This is a desolate place, and the hour is now late. Send them away to go into the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat." But he answered them, "You give them something to eat." And they said to him, "Shall we go and buy two hundred denarii worth of bread and give it to them to eat?" I'll pause there for a second. Stop and. The disciples are, are, you know, for good reason. They're concerned about the well-being of the crowds, right? They want them to eat. They're worried that they're not going to get home in time for dinner. And so, what are we going to do? We need to feed them, and they're confounded by this problem that they're hungry. The disciples are a lot like Moses Uh, when, when in the Old Testament, when he saw that that he needed to feed the Israelites that he led out of Egypt, right? They're now in the wilderness country. And they're starving, and he, he prays to God and asks for food. Um, and so uh, you can read about that in, in Numbers chapter 11. So Jesus commands them, You give them something to eat. And, and so they, they challenge him, saying, it's, It would cost us seven months' wages, right, to feed all these people. There's no way we can do that. We don't have the, the human resources to do that, we don't have the financial capital. So verse 38 says, And he said to them, How many loaves do you have? Go and see. And when they had found out, they said, Five and two fish. Then he commanded them all to sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups by hundreds and fifties, and taking the five loaves, two fish, he looked up to heaven, said a blessing, broke the loaves, and gave them to the disciples to set before the people. He divided the two fish among them all, and they all ate and were satisfied, and they took up the twelve baskets full of broken pieces and of the fish. And those who ate the loaves were 5,000 men. So, this is a miracle, all right? Because two, uh, uh, five loaves and two fish, all of a sudden the molecules, the atoms change, right? And are replicated. And all of a sudden there's enough food to feed 5,000 people. That's a lot of food to feed that many people. Um, There's no other way to put it, but it was a miracle. And uh, so Jesus says the traditional words of, this, of a Jewish blessing, which I'll, I'll just say them if you want. If anyone's curious to know these words. He probably would have said, Praise be to you, O Lord our God, King of the world, who makes bread to come forth from the earth, and who provides for all that you've created. Amen. Breaks the bread. But I want to point out a few things about this scene, some important things. Jesus has them go into groups of hundreds and fifties, Okay. Why the groups? Well, administratively, that makes sense, right? It's an efficient way to feed a bunch of people. But there's something else there. There's more to it, right? The hundreds and fifties are, are calling us to see this statement that Jesus is making, right? This is like Israel's flight from Egypt when Moses arranged people into groups to travel, right? And then notice how these groups are told to sit down. They're, they're told to sit on What? Grass, it's what color? Green. green grass. They're told to sit on green grass. Does that ring any bells from maybe the beginning of this worship service? Or if you're, if you're familiar with the Shepherd psalm, Psalm 23, anybody familiar with that one? He makes me lie down in what? Green pastures. Green pastures. He carries me to green pastures. And so we're supposed to see this connection. The wilderness isn't a desert region anymore. Uh, It was probably springtime when the hills were green from the rainfall. And so by asking them to sit down on green grass, Jesus is saying, he's going, I am your shepherd. In me you will never want, right? I won't be wanting, I won't be wanting. God can take a limited supply and he can make it overflow. He can take a dry and arid climate and pour rain on it and make it green. He can feed those who ask him. And, and this, this scene, this picture, this story is shouting to us this is the new Exodus, right? That Jesus is a second, a better, a greater Moses. He's like the new Moses 2.0, but he's way better, right? Um, and so, like Israel getting manna from heaven in the Old Testament, this group of 5,000 all ate and they were satisfied, like Psalm 23 5 describes, um, my cup overflows. All right, so we're, we're, we see the disciples go home, uh, they take home leftovers, each of them have a whole basket full of leftovers to take home. And that's the kind of compassion that God has in Christ for you. God is not stingy, okay? He's not holding out on you, he's not holding back. He is ready to, to unleash, to give you generously, um, everything that he has for you as your provider. But there's something else I want to to point out. I want you to notice. Verse 44 says, And those who ate the loaves were 5,000 men. If you saw 5,000 men, you know, gather in the parking lot area out there, 5,000, would you think that they're a friendly or a hostile group of people? What do you think? Hostile, Hostile. yeah. I mean, 5,000 people... It's like an army. Uh, Mark's gospel doesn't mention that there are any women and children. He says specifically 5,000 men. And earlier, the reference to sheep without a shepherd is military imagery. Um, the stirrings of many people coming in and out, verse 31, also hints of this uprising, the sparks of a revolution. And um, John's gospel, if we, if we read the, the parallel account right in John's gospel, chapter 6 of John... He says that the men intended to come and make him king by force. Right. So in other words, these people wanted for Jesus to become militant. And they wanted to make him king. Jesus isn't that sort of king. And so we're, we're meant to see a contrast. It's a contrast between, um, because if you remember, what, what was the story right before the feeding of the 5,000? What did we talk about last week? Anybody? Anybody? Something with a guy named Herod. Anybody remember that? There's a a bunch of food. Herod had a party, right? It was a birthday party for Herod. And what happened? There was somebody who got beheaded. John the Baptist. Perfect. Everybody remembers. that. yeah, good. Um, So we're supposed to see, right, this placement of the 5,000 is right after that scene. And so we're supposed to see a difference between the kind of king Jesus is and the kind of king Herod is the kind of banquet that Herod gives, the kind of banquet that Jesus provides, the one leads to what? Death. The other leads to life. One is for all the important leaders of Galilee, the other for the unimportant common people of Israel. One is held in a palace, the other is out in the open on the rolling hills of Galilee. One is a banquet held in honor of the birthday boy, King Herod, Celebrating him and all his glory, bolstering his influence. The other is a banquet hosted for all of the guests to what? Feed their need, right? Feed them. So so we have a picture of a, a self serving guy and then a self giving guy over here. On the night in which our Lord was betrayed, he took the bread, gave thanks, broke it, and said. Did anybody pick up that language at all in verse 41? It says, in taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven, said a blessing, broke the loaves, and gave it to the disciples to set before the people. The four verbs used here in verse 41 are the same four verbs that Jesus will use later in the Lord's Supper. And and so this story of the feeding of 5,000 is supposed to point us to the Lord's Supper, which points us to what? the great heavenly banquet, right? When we'll eat together, we'll feast in the house of Zion forever. This passage is shouting to us the message of the gospel. The cup and the bread that tell us that Christ laid down his own life as the good shepherd, right? For his sheep. That we have life because Jesus died in our place. The kind of king that jesus is is so radically different from the kind of king and kingdom that 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 we see in this world whether it's uh the presidents or the the politicians in our day or herod or pontius pilate in jesus's day jesus is so different his kingdom is so different and this passage in mark six it it's telling us that jesus is israel's true messiah king don't miss it he's the one who's come to save his people He's the one who's come to lead his people into a new exodus. One where we'll be satisfied, we'll never go hungry again, and we'll have eternal rest in him. And so, do you believe in this Jesus? Where Are you feeding on him? If you're a foodie like me, are you eating him? Are you resting in him? Are you in need of rest? He'll give it to you. Because Jesus loves and he cares for his people, man. He did then, and he does now. That's the kind of king he is. Let's pray. Father, I thank you that your kingdom is so different from the kingdoms of this passing age, this world. That in Christ, you're self-sacrificing, you're self-giving. You're not a corrupt leader or ruler who's serving his own interests, but you look to the interests of your people at a costly price. Father, help us to see that 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 great love that you have for us in Jesus, that great compassion that you had to send your one and only son to die in our place so that we would have forgiveness in life. Lord, if there's anyone here who is hearing this message, and and is wondering, God, do you love me? I pray that they would be assured that you love them deeply, because you sent your son to die for them, and to live for them in, in, in their place. We thank you, Lord, for this news, in Jesus' name. Amen.